Friends, before we dive into today's episode, your angels want you to begin by just feeling their presence around you. Surrounding you on every side are angels. They're extensions of God, universe, sources, loving energy sent to lift you up, nudge you forward, and keep you connected to your soul. The angels say that God sends more angels to surround you than there are cells within your body. Friends, I know that seems impossible, but that means there are more than 37.2 trillion angels surrounding you right now. I want you to feel it. I want you to pause and just tap into this energy. What does it feel like when 37.2 trillion angels send you love at the same time? When I do this exercise, I feel a love so great that joy just fills my eyes with tears that just stream down my face. The truth is God universe sources love for you is so much more vast than you know it to be. And the truth is that your angels, they know you by name. They know exactly who you are. They know all of your lifetimes before. They know your purpose. They know every challenge that you're going through and they know how to help you through it. Friends, I want you to tune into your angels all day long. And if they call you to, I want you to learn more about the angel membership so that you can connect with them on the deepest level possible and really see them transform your life. In the show notes is a link to book a discovery call with me. You can book that anytime and I can teach you about the membership which actually the doors are closing to February 1st. So we don't keep the angel membership open all year long anymore. Uh, Doors are closing for the year February 1st. And if you want to be part of this wonderful community of hundreds of people learning about their angels, connect with other like-minded souls, your angels are going to nudge you in that direction. And if they don't, that's okay too. You'll know within your heart, friends. I love you so incredibly much. And here is today's episode with my friend, Matt Kahn. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. Friends, we are here today with one of my favorite people. It's so interesting running this podcast because you get to just work with so many different beautiful souls. And what another healer told me one time is that, Julie, different souls coming together is like a symphony. You know, you play different instruments next to one another and they sound beautiful. And then you play certain chords and, you know, they're just okay. Um, And Matt is somebody that every single time I get to be with his energy and just um, heart to heart space, my goodness, I just love being in your energy, Matt. So thank you for taking time and thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and it's an honor to uh, create a melody of awakening for everyone who's watching this. So let's start out with actually a bigger question, Matt. When I tune into the energy of every new year, and I think the angels have a lot of fun with this because they know that we're kind of shedding an old snake skin and really coming into a rebirth. There's so much energy there. And 
last year, the angel said very specifically that they wanted our our word of the year focus to be on learning ease. Mm. And that came through, you know, there's that, um, what is that, Evan Almighty or, or Bruce Almighty, where God as, uh, what's his name? Um, is it Morgan? Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he talks about how, if we ask for courage, God gives us opportunities to be courageous. And this last year, you know, people were asking for ease. And so God gave us opportunities to see where we can bring ease into our lives. And, um, and yet it was heavy, you know, it was heavy to get to that point of seeing ease. Did you find that as a thread throughout the last year? And how have you kind of worked with some of those energies in the past? You know, when we're, when the word is ease, I think that what we're being pointed towards is that the collective humanity is going through a level of awakening and it's at a different pace than the individuals are going through an awakening. And so there's many people on this program who are watching. We're going through a trajectory of awakening that's at a different stage than where the world's at. And so when we talk about the word ease, what we start to remind ourselves as light workers or empaths, spiritual beings, is that our alignment with divinity, our active ability to connect and deepen our connection to the divine, allows us to have our own unique experience of what we're witnessing and not just empath what the collective is working out. Because a lot of times in the past, when we looked at the the waves of ascension, a lot of empathic beings would match the energy of the collective world around them. And so then there'd be this very kind of codependent, when's the world going to wake up so I can feel better? And what we're going to learn and what we're continuing to learn this year and what's going to be more evident next year is that the more we are aligned with our divinity, the more than we can witness that everything's happening outside of us. Of course, not necessarily subscribing to the belief that everything outside of me is a reflection of what's inside of me. Because mm -hmm. in truth, the light inside of me is actually reflecting what the world is awakening to and remembering. So the mirror reflection is actually different. Mm -hmm. But what I'm witnessing in the world is where the world is in its collective awakening and I can actually experience it from my unique frequency of consciousness and not just be hypnotized by the, the immensity of the energy around me and get pulled into everyone else's trajectory when I may very well be in a different vibrational standpoint. So I think ease for this year is a way where we can say, how can I have my own unique experience of what others are realizing without having to match their energy, which when we match other people's energy, it's an energetic form of fawning. Like you hear fight, flight, freeze yes. and flee. The new one is fawning and fawning is kind of when you're in conversations, you're disagreeing agreeing with people and you lose yourself in them. And so energetic fawning is actually when you disappear into the collective energy and you then find yourself taking on the energy of the collective instead of holding your own vibrational standpoint. So I think we're in the beginning stages of spiritual beings breaking the spell of emotional and vibrational codependency and learning that we're holding space for the world. And that instead of the world reflecting what's unresolved in us, it's actually our light that's reflecting to the world what the world is remembering.
So this kind of coordinates with that. Uh, the last about week in meditation, we all flow through different busy times of year, easier times of year. Spirit has been saying, you know, Julie, November, December, January are just very overwhelming times of year for me. I'm trying to be all things to all people and do everything. And they said, you have to remember you run your own business, you run your own household, and there's nobody coming in anymore. Like I don't have a boss to come in and or or pawn fawn off the um responsibility, like, oh my goodness, if this boss would just I am I am that person now. Right. So <laughs> if if I don't change it, it doesn't change. And spirit was saying that's a huge message for everybody in 2024 that you really are the master of your own life, the um, master of your own destiny. And we really, I think, try and play off on so many other different things. I can't do this because of this. I can't change this because of this. But nobody's coming in to change it for you. You are the one that has to make the decision. Yes. And I think just to add to that, I think it's a great point. You know, one of the things I can remember in my life, a realization I had. It's funny how you can have some really, really deep spiritual realizations when you're a kid, but then it takes you most of your life to kind of process it and make sense of it. (laughs) But I had this really interesting experience that parallels what you're saying. And my experience was, I remember when I had a fight with my parents when I was very young, I was probably nine or 10 years old. And I went to my room frustrated that they wouldn't hear my viewpoint. It didn't feel like they cared about my feelings. It was just about, you know, them dominating and making me, you know, this child slave of you listen to us because you're the child. And I was very frustrated. I was very upset. And I remember going to my bedroom, going to bed and crying myself to sleep, which I'm sure all of us had the experience of doing. And I remember crying so loud. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be in as much pain as possible because then they'll come to my rescue and they'll wake up out of their monster self, which, you know, as a kid, you don't know what an ego is. I was trying to cry to get their attention to come rescue me. And I was crying and wailing. And after a few minutes, when nothing changed, there was a very loud voice in my head. And again, I didn't know what this meant, but the loud voice in my head, like a very just clear guidance thing is my higher self, because it didn't sound like a guide. It said, no one is coming to rescue you, very calmly. And I immediately stopped crying. I was in a state of spontaneous peace, which I didn't know what it was at the time. And I went to sleep. And I think for a lot of us, subconsciously speaking, right, not consciously, there's this interesting predicament We're on a subconscious, for conscious level, first of all, we want to heal our wounds. We want to heal for humanity. We want to heal for ourselves. We want to awaken our consciousness. That's all conscious. Subconsciously, there's a part of us that holds ourselves in a state of suffering as if I'm going to suffer behind the scenes until the person that harmed me comes to my senses. Now, that's not a rational thought. But subconsciously, that's actually what we do. Almost, I'm going to be, I'm going to demonstrate how much pain I'm in to show the people who don't know how much they've harmed me, the damage they've done. 
So it's almost like we're drinking poison and we're expecting someone else to come and rush us to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And what we realized, what I realized when I was a kid that I didn't realize until I was an adult, but what we all realize at different ages is no one who is in a body is coming to rescue you. And it's a very direct realization that when we hear these words, something behind the scenes changes. It stops. We stop subconsciously performing our pain. And what we also stop doing is we also stop assuming every single sensation in our body needs to be emotionally processed. Because for a lot of us, we're very good at emotional processing, tracing it back to an original wound. And that becomes a distraction from the changes and choices we can make to be the solution to our problems and to be the masters of our destiny. So, and so to add to what you're saying, once we realize the people that we are waiting to come to their senses, the people that we are waiting to grovel at our feet and beg for forgiveness are not coming. Mm -hmm. The only one who's coming to our rescue is the one who's caught in a subconscious performance of performing their suffering, not on purpose, mm -hmm. but it's a very early wound in our upbringing. And as we not just wake up, but as we mature and grow up, mm -hmm. we start to realize, okay, I'm an empath. I'm, emo I'm emotionally sensitive. I may have gotten used to processing everything, but let's take the next step. And the next step is what are the small or bold choices I can make in my life that start to make me into the version of myself who's already healed versus the me that's on a journey seeking healing. And it's almost as if we start making choices that create a bridge from this timeline to a different timeline, because where we suffer is one timeline and where we are already healed is a different timeline. In our reality, the editing of reality is so good, it looks like we are transforming. But in fact, what we're doing is we're moving our consciousness from one timeline to another. There's a timeline where I'm unwell, and there's a timeline where I'm well. And the bridge from one to the other is as I console myself, as I love myself, of course, as I'm present with my feelings. In addition to that, what are the little daily choices or the big, bold choices my life is asking me to make that makes me more of the me that's already healed instead of saying only when I'm healed will I start making those choices. And we actually start to pattern interrupt the subconscious imprinting and we actually start to dissolve the ego version of myself that has learned to live and cope with unwellness and to only soothe ourselves when wellness is some distant light at the end of the tunnel. How do we bridge the gap? How do we go from unwell to well? And I think what you're saying and what I'm adding onto it is where we start to use this time in our lives to not just spiral in coping with unwellness, but how do we turn unwellness into a bridge into the place in which our wellness already lives? That is so beautiful. Okay. So I want to just kind of break this open even more so for Good. people because um, 
I'm going to kind of change the situation and the scenario around, but I've had a couple of sessions lately with uh, loved ones from the other side coming through and, and being like, okay, you know, mom or dad passed and one sibling helped more than the others helped transition mom or dad. And then the siblings who didn't help kind of came into the house and took the stamp collection that was beloved by everybody or took the tea set that was beloved by everybody. And there's moments where it could be anything and you can tune into your own life and see what's activating you the most, triggering you the most, triggering that pain body because it really flares up where you have this physical reaction and sensation within your body that I'm angry or I'm pissed off or I'm this or I'm that. And what I see you saying is that, and I guess there's a question in here too, Matt, is your biggest tool or hack for this? Because what we're trying to do is get to a place of acceptance or surrender that we're not going to be acting out this play of being angry or being mad. There's a part of us that's healed. And really that part is a different vibrational frequency from the triggered part of us. So is the best way to come out of that and into acceptance and surrender to really step into that fully healed part of ourselves? It's a great question. I want to give a very different answer just because you different times in history require different answers. So historically speaking, the way most people would go about it is they would say, okay, mom and dad have passed away and siblings have taken the favorite tea set just to give, you know, your example. And this, this has become the thing that has triggered me wildly and I'm triggered and I'm angry. And then what people would do is they would say, okay, well, instead of being emotionally triggered, I am going to then surrender and accept as a form of emotionally soothing myself. And then they're no longer accept, then they're no longer upset as much as they were. And then from that place of acceptance, maybe they'll say, okay, you can have the tea set and, and I'm in a place of detachment. It really doesn't matter. And I've talked myself out of the trigger, but what I see the uh, missing step in that is that it's not just a matter I've, of that I'm emotionally triggered because I have a surrender or acceptance deficiency, mm. right? Like from that point of view, it would be like, well, I'm being triggered because I don't have enough surrender or enough acceptance. And if I accept and surrender, I move myself back to balance. What I like to look at is that there's this extreme point of view of I'm mad and the T set means everything in life and how dare they. And then there's, I'm accepting, I'm surrendering, and the T-set is meaningless. The midpoint is the reason God is dressed up as my siblings who stole the T-set is because God is saying the you in the timeline who's already healed is also the you that knows how to communicate openly without needing to be angry to build up a false level of courage. So then we would say, Wow, if communication isn't my strongest attribute, the divine is dressed up as people stealing my tea sets <laughs> to put me in a position to strengthen a weakness and turn it into more of a strength. And so then I sit down with a sibling and I say, I see that you want this tea set. It's something that means a lot to me. Is there any way that we can talk about this? And even if there's not, What people will find is by having a conversation that you advocated for your needs 
And you didn't make it so important that you justified anger, but you didn't discount it as a way of trying to spiritually bypass the importance of the meaning. You, you had a conversation, you advocated for yourself. And even if you speak up for yourself and it turns out that they say, that's my tea set, it's not yours. And I will use it every day and laugh that you don't have it. I mean, that's a drastic example, but <laughs> let's say that's the reaction. As long as you spoke up for yourself, you will actually walk away in the same level of surrender and acceptance, but you had spoken up for yourself in a way that made what was important to a small part of you not insignificant compared to the bigger part of you. And that's how we start to integrate our personality and our spirit. So I kind of think there's a middle ground of, hey, siblings, let's talk about this. And if you don't want to budge, and I don't feel like getting into a court battle over a tea set or whatever the case may be, when I speak up for myself, I advocate for myself. And if I speak up for myself, I actually wind up having the same emotional experience in the end as if my sibling had said, I didn't realize here's the tea set and they gave it to me. So the mm -hmm. same emotion you would feel if they gave you the tea set, you have by speaking up for yourself, even if they don't budge from their standpoint. I think that's actually the missing piece in all of this. Wow, that hits home. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you for making that differentiation for, for everybody. And by the way, just to add to that, the reason that's so important is because the missing piece for spiritually or emotionally sensitive people is that we miss the communication piece. It's difficult. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to rock the boat. So we fawn people in person, and then we call inner spiritual work how we grow while fawning. And so the real growth is coming out of fawning and saying, hey, I know you want the tea set. I kind of do too. Can we have 50-50 custody on that tea set? Yeah. Can we, uh, can we have visitations? Can we co-parent the tea set? Can we do that? <laughs> can you invite beautiful. me over and we have the tea set? Whatever it is. And the ability to negotiate, even if you don't get your way, will make your ego say, hey, thank you for speaking up for me. And thank you for making me just as important as the divine part of you. And when you have a regular practice of speaking up for yourself, that's what diminishes the trigger because people want to diminish the trigger in private. But the problem is most of their triggers happen in public. So mm -hmm. it's something we need to do in public so we can learn to live beyond triggers. And the reason people get triggered is because when something arises, they don't speak up for themselves. And so the trigger is not necessarily just to the person doing something dastardly. The trigger is your ego saying, and you're going to do nothing about it. And you're going to go home and you're going to swallow your feelings and do spiritual work. And I despise that. And so it's a way to turn all this around. And it's kind of what a lot of people aren't talking about. And it's what we're ready to start looking at. It's incredible. Well, and I think that kind of ties back into the reason that we're all here. I believe that our souls have these gifts, talents, abilities. I could even say certain aspects of personality before mm -hmm. we come here. And looking at it from that perspective, the flip side of it is while you're here being ser seen, heard, recognized, validated brings us 
to our home center, our soul self. And when we're speaking up and communicating on behalf of us, we're living out our soul self to the nth degree possible. Absolutely. I, I mean, I communicate with my parents and other souls in heaven and they still have personalities, wild personalities. So it's kind of like if you think of going to a bowling alley and when you have a kid, they'll put those bumper lanes in there so that the ball bounces off of the gutters and goes to the center. So a soul in heaven has a personality with the bumper lanes, which means they're just a little bit more in alignment with divinity even though still precocious and still hilarious but when you come to earth the bumper lanes get removed and we come <laughs> here to experience the, the, the chance to <laughs> spend time in the gutter so there's always personalities and i think that it's a great thing to mention because i think from an old spiritual standpoint when we try to think ego is just personality you try to be a no personality spiritual person which will then just make you someone else's cult member right <laughs> and then you're in and then the ego that you deny and hear gets embodied by some monster leader who's doing crazy stuff. <laughs> and that's the irony of it. If you deny your ego here, you're going to, you're going to have a boss, a cult leader, a co-parent who's going to take the ego you don't use, and they're going to have a double big ego. And then you're going to wonder well, what's going on, right? Because the idea is, is that your personality is a part of your soul your ego is a part of what allows you to commit to the human journey, right? To commit to a linear path that isn't really linear, but to live out what it's like to be in your life's movie. And we're just really here to heal the conditioning that influences our egos into unconscious states. And as our egos surrender and are reborn, the ego goes through a death and its identity as a product of its conditioning dies and it's reborn and merges back with the light of the soul. And so mm. I think having a personality, I certainly have a personality. I like my personality, you know, but it, when it comes to making choices and decisions and how I speak to people, no matter their standpoint or what they say or do, that all comes from the consciousness that's been awakened within me. So I think really in this new paradigm, we're looking at a much more integrated model because I don't know that people can handle any, you know, being in any more cults, to be honest. Oh my God. So have you been keeping an eye on this too? Because it Always. has been off the charts. I wasn't familiar with this until I watched the three latest documentaries that have came, come out. Oh, like it is... I just don't even know what to say. I mean, they start off so normal, like all of the podcasts that we've done and they yeah. say the same things and they follow the same beautiful mm. wisdom of age mm. old teachings. And then it just out of nowhere takes a oh, nosedive. Yes. And I feel like there's a huge energy within the collective that has yes. seen these documentaries lately and been like, Okay, so where does that bring me? And there's so many people who don't feel safe in religious settings. Not that there's anything wrong with religion, but there's not everybody that feels safe and they still need a spiritual home. What are your recommendations for making sure that, for lack of a better term, quote unquote, normal spiritual, like, <laughs> like how do you normal. find your normal <laughs> spiritual, practical spiritual home? Well, as an aside to that, or in addition to what you're saying, you know, my, my soon-to-be wife, Joy, and I, one of our favorite pastimes we do is we, we watch documentaries on cults. So I, we have seen 
all of them. And it fascinates us because we're both spiritual teachers and we're both two people who, you know, work with a lot of people. I have a very large audience and I, and I've, you know, I find a lot of pride in, in the amount of lives I've had the chance to impact in so many ways, which is a huge honor. And because it's such a huge honor, because I am earning people's trust and I am working with such delicate things, you know, to me, the definition of a true spiritual teacher or a guide, or I don't even want to use the word influencer because that word is so strange to me, but I think the definition of a spiritual way shower is not just someone who's had experiences for most of these kinds of leaders, they went through one training and then they mimic and mirror what they've heard. You know, they've took, they took one NLP course or whatever, and then that's what happened in one documentary. And then the guys, you know, went insane because it's really easy for the ego to recreate itself and to mimic and to mirror, right? In the same way that someone goes to karaoke and sings a Mariah Carey song and thinks they sound like Mariah Carey, you know what I mean? It's a great aspiration, but I think the definition of a true spiritual way shower, and this is something I do in my life all the time, and it's also the definition of a true intuitive. An intuitive is not someone who gets information. An intuitive is someone who is committed to regularly checking their math and has a process to make sure they're always clear in the message they're delivering. So a spiritual teacher has to be someone who always checks themselves every day, not from a place of ostracizing themselves, but from a place of Am I in my clearest place? Am I coming from my clearest motivation? Am I coming from my clearest place of service? And when we are, like I channel these insights that I say to you, and I offer this so that every individual on this podcast and who's watching it can, can run it through their system just to say, hey, is there something that can benefit me from what he's saying? And oftentimes, when I'm working with people individually or in a group, I ask questions for people to ask themselves because my intention is to make other people more clear in their own channel. Whereas if you're a cult leader, you're trying to get people to opt into you to be their problem solver, their intuition, and, and, and not, not just a cult leader, but someone who might be a cult leader in training or someone with cult leader tendencies, someone will say something and then they'll say, oh, no, I got a better intuition. I got a different answer. And even if you're an intuitive who gets a different answer for what someone should do, the proper journey is to walk with a person, allowing them to trust themselves. This is not any different than when we're parents with children and you allow someone to trust their own instinct and whether it leads to a success or it leads to a failure, then we help them pick up the pieces, see what we've learned, and then we try again. So even if I get an intuition, and someone will come to me and say, Matt, please tell me an intuition. My first instinct is to say, well, let me ask what you get in your intuition and where is it coming from? And does it feel reliable? And should we trust this? And if they say yes, even if I get the answer of like, oh God, I don't know, I'm going to walk with them so that they can learn from what they got. And then if they go, that was my intuition, but how come it didn't work out? There's five to 10 different reasons why that is. And I'm here to help people learn from a path they choose to take, not to control the path people are on or swallow up their individual free will to be a Matt Con disciple. You know what I mean? <laughs> I always say, I'm not here collecting fans. I'm actually activating masters and spirit guides. So yeah. I think when we look at the egregious nature, truly the egregious nature, I laughed earlier about the cult because it's so ridiculous but the truth is people are 
harmed on an incredible level. And I've, Joy and I both have deprogrammed people from cults and it's such a serious thing. And I think that what it shows us is that the, the ability for these kinds of groups to take shape and form is built on a foundation of people don't know how to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. So if our goal is to help people trust themselves, we help to keep people safe from not being susceptible to cult behavior. And they start to tune into their own connection so that when it's time for me to leave this planet, what I've left behind is a level of connection for people to have with the divine, which is the intention of why I do this work. So I think the focus has to be, are we in service to people's clarity? Are we willing to take the journey with other people? And a real spiritual guide will, 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 will know a higher truth. We'll see someone tuning into even a lesser truth. We'll know that they have to navigate that lesser truth to be able to resonate with the higher truth. And does the spirit guide have the patience to walk someone else's journey or they do, they only want people to hang out in their clarity. That's a difference between a spiritual narcissist and a true spiritual way shower. Amazing. And I love the word spiritual way shower. Um, And all of that is what we teach over in the Angel Reiki school. There's a couple other things with this. And I think everything that you just said goes back to your original point that we were talking about, where your soul has a personality on the other side. The more and more you step into your intuition here, have those hard conversations, follow your own path in this lifetime, follow your own voice the more you're your soul self here. And that's the point of everything. So if the teacher isn't you encouraging you to follow your own soul self journey, that's right. but their soul self journey, that is where the disconnect starts to happen and where you can see it. I've worked with so many different souls. And I think one of the hardest things is souls who... I think it's oftentimes a lot from past pain and trauma, Mm -hmm. very much give away their power too easily, where they attach very easily to what it is somebody else is saying and hold that as Bible, for lack of a better word, or like ultimate truth. Oh my goodness. Matt Kahn said this. So it has to be the only way that there is, or this is the only truth. And honestly, I think that from that perspective of the healer, the healers who are truly doing this work always say and feel, I don't want that pressure. Like I don't want that responsibility. Our job to your point, is just to help them come back home to their own intuition, take their own power back so that they're making all of their own decisions and actions their own. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that something else that I've seen is that I like to do my work in a very loving and a very thoughtful way. And I am given a lot of power in some respects when I'm working with people. And my job is to give it back, but but to give it back in, in, in a way in which it's not about me being in a power position. It's about right. us having an exchange and we're taking a journey together and we're building a relationship of, hey, we're on an adventure through this new jungle of experience and I can be a tour guide. And 
that can teach someone how to feel their way through it. But what's interesting is that when you are not very clear on how to skillfully give people power, people's powers back, when I say skillfully, because there are some people who will sense someone giving their power away and they'll say, don't give your power to me. But what happens is when you say that to someone, you actually invalidate them. You make, and then they go, oh, I'm wrong. Oh, I did something wrong. And then they go back to the guilt that they're more identified with. And so you've shut someone down. So you have to be able to learn how to give people their power back in a way where no one's doing something wrong. There's just something more right to be revealed. And when we don't know how to give people power back in a skillful way, and especially if as a teacher, if you are, if, if you feel overwhelmed and you don't know how to do that, you fawn, right? The teacher fawns to the audience, which is a very strange phenomenon. The karma that is built is that people that give you their power and you fawn that power, which is just a trauma response that even a teacher can have. That creates a karma that leads to whatever pedestal people put you on, they will tear you down from it. And then that clears the karma. So to get us out of the loop, we have to, as teachers, not fawn the power given to us, learn how to give it back skillfully without disempowering, shutting someone down and make someone feel like they did something wrong. You know, th th these things I'm talking about are also the things that parents learn when they're raising children. It's not, it's different, but it's very similar at the same time. So I, I think that when we learn to be teachers, healers, way showers, whatever the role is going to be, a yoga teacher, a counselor, even a parent, there's a way in which anytime we are put into the position of being an authority figure, how to deal with our power, how to connect with someone who's giving you their power, and how to be in a moment where we're actually sharing in the experience of that person discovering their power and not being afraid of it and how to really step into the expression of it. Again, it's a very and very subtle but profound skill set. And we're at that time in history where we're all learning these nuances so that we can all be empowered by spiritual expansion and not disempowered in any way. That segues beautifully into, oh, let's dive into something fun. What okay. are you feeling for 2024? Whew, 2024 is called the quickening. The quickening will be a lot of people that have been doing deep emotional and spiritual work over the last five to seven years have created enough space to start the process of instead of just working on themselves and hoping for better experiences, but to start to move into the body has been prepared to embody their divine I am, right? So people in our position are helping people to move the higher self or the soul into the body for a more integrated experience of expanded consciousness. That's on an individual level. But this is where we start to realize that more and more people aren't listening to the narrative of mainstream media. People are questioning more and more. And people are not being used as pawns to turn against each other and we're all slowly but surely, maybe not coming together yet, but becoming more immune to turning against one another. And so the quickening is about uh, beings that have been doing their work or stepping more into an embodiment of their higher self. And on the collective level, there is a quickening of exposing corruption so that the people of this world start to realize that we have the power to move our world into the place it's meant to be. 
So kind of to take this into a level where there's that new movie with Julia Roberts that just freaked everybody out. Um, we don't want to take people there because that's not what I see. I see um, like that there is this unfolding happening, mm -hmm. but there's so much beauty that's coming from it. I mean, there's so many new corporations that I see behind the scenes that are so intention-based. Oh, yeah. And earth-based and sure. it's all moving towards not like a doom and gloom but really like really coming from this energy of truly making a huge transformational shift oh yeah to a higher plane yeah maybe you want to touch on that a little bit so i think really it depends on where we're coming from but i think an important part a point to make because i talked to someone and they said something the other day that, that I thought was really interesting. And we were talking about Israel. And they said, I don't want to look at that too much because mm -hmm. I'm trying to manifest and I'm worried that it's going to pull down my energy and not give me what I want. That broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Because to suggest that we cannot look at the hardship of life as if that's going to affect the delicate nature of our energy I think is part of the problem that we have to buff out in the spiritual journey. That if I am looking at a situation where people are suffering, it's not the suffering that shuts me down. It is my inability to control the suffering that I can't change. Now I could change it through choices. I could change it through donations to organizations. I could change it to blessings. Every time I see something of hardship, I bless it with ease and renewal on whatever level. And I think that what is an important invitation for all beings is that we're not going to turn away from things that are difficult as a way of manifesting peace on earth or heaven on earth. We have to be willing to look at things because the person I was talking to who said that says, Reality grows where attention goes. And I said, that's actually not a true statement. I know it's taught a lot. It was in a movie and it's not true. The truth is where judgment goes, evidence grows. Mm -hmm. So if you look at something through the lens of non-judgment and you are in a vibrational alignment where my witnessing of a war through the lens of non-judgment turns me into an open space where I become a doorway, where the energy of heaven moves through my gaze and brings energetic resources to who I'm witnessing. I am now being a deliverer of blessings to environments of atrocity. What most people don't know how to do is look at something unfathomable without some sort of judgment, which then makes them part of the victimhood of what they're witnessing, or sometimes even more damaged than the thing they're witnessing. Like, for example, you can witness children on a TV set who are refugees, and the commercial says, give money to these children. And you go, I can't look at that. But what, you, what, what can't look at that is judgment. The truth is these kids do need help. They are the divine. And if you went to a third world country, they don't have a lot of things they should have or that I'd like them to have. Right. But their level of connection in their village and family is at a higher vibration than the high vibe people that can't watch that commercial. So what's fascinating is that the people who watch 
those things on TV and get so twisted up about it and don't want to affect their high vibe are not nearly at the vibration that the people who are in atrocity need to be at to survive it. Yes, they're the, the, the divine, and that does not mean we don't help them. Instead, we help all beings, divine beings, even when the divinity is dressed up as a refugee, and we help from a place of praise and devotion to divinity instead of turning away as a reflex of pity. And so I think this is a very big point that we can't be in our high vibe clubhouse. I'm not asking people to dumpster dive into atrocity, but we have to be able to see that the low vibrational reality is a part of the ascension and our high vibration is showing us where to deliver the energy so that everyone can experience love, light, and unity. If we're at a high vibe, we're going to be in a world of varying vibrations because we're the firefighters, we have the hoses, and the world is on fire. Wow. Beautiful. Justina said it best. We got a live audience over here. Uh, Mic drop. Um, She's put, whoa, I feel like I'm going to have to re-listen to this multiple times. Such great guidance and reframing thoughts. Wow. Can you first give one more example of like, okay, we're in 2024. There's a lot out there. How can we actually take what you just said and integrate it? Great question we look at the outside world like flashcards. So if I see something beautiful in the world, this is my personal practice. If I see something beautiful in the world, I affirm its beauty and I say, and may the beauty I see expand into all hearts. So that a beautiful thing that I see is a chance for me to spread beauty and to spread consciousness and to spread light and to spread love, right? That's, that's one thing. And I say this practice because I wanted to create a practice that no matter what I saw, there's a practice because if you're only blessing negative things, then you always need negative things to keep yourself blessing. So I want to create a practice where no matter what I saw, I'm engaging. So if I see a beautiful thing, may that beauty spread to all beings. May all beings know their beauty as the light of their soul. If I see something difficult, may the difficulty I see spread ease to all beings because everything I see in one person is something being healed in the, on the collective level. So where I see difficulty, I bless everyone with ease. Where I see beauty, I, I ask the beauty to spread. Where I see conflict, I bless resolution for all beings. Where I see peace, I ask it to spread. So if I see something positive, I ask it to spread to all beings. And if I see something difficult, I define the difficulty I ask myself what the opposite of the difficulty is, and I spread that to all hearts. And that's what I do every day. And we know scientifically that, you know, connected prayer, connected meditation totally shifts the collective consciousness and yes. groups around the world. Um, and I, I see this as being the exact same dynamic of, of something every single person can do every day. Thank you for, for showing us how to embody that daily. Sure. Oh, thank you, Matt, so much for being here on the show. You are just an incredible, like heartfelt soul. I love working with your energy. Tell everybody where they can find you and your books. Well, for, you know, books are, uh, all four of my books are available on Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here with you all. Of course. Have a blessed day. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Matt, for being here. Love you all. Thank you.
friends, let's end today's episode with a prayer. Dear God, as we stand here at the threshold of a new year, we come to you humble in gratitude and hopeful in our hearts. We ask you to bless this world and every person in it with your endless love and abundance. We call upon your angels to extend their wings over every soul. May they touch every life, bringing healing where there is pain, strength where there is weakness, and infinite abundance in every area of every life. In this time of global reflection and anticipation, we pray earnestly for peace, peace within our own hearts, peace within our homes, peace across every land. Let hope rise and let love prevail, binding us in our shared humanity and interconnectedness. We ask for special care and protection for the children of our world. May they grow in a nurturing environment, shielded from harm and surrounded by care. Their laughter and their dreams are the seeds of a promising future. And we ask that each are blessed with every opportunity to thrive. God, guide us to be creators of our own harmonious world. Help us to become beacons of your energy and spread your love now and always. As we step into this next chapter of our lives, empower us to live in alignment with our soul. Find joy in each moment and embrace the beauty of life's journey. May we each walk in confidence and faith, knowing that with your divine guidance, anything is possible. May our hearts overflow with gratitude and our minds be filled with positive, loving thoughts. In this spirit of optimism and renewal, we step boldly into our future, ready to create, love, and thrive. In this we pray, amen. Friends, if you'd like to support this podcast, book a session with me or join my Angel Reiki School, where I'll help you develop all of your unique spiritual gifts and use them to serve. Visit theangelmedium.com or use the link in the show notes to book a discovery call with me personally. Thank you for being here. I love you.